Well, we are in week three of this series, Staying in Love. This is a series that was developed by Andy Stanley and his team down at North Point Community Church in Atlanta, Georgia. And if you were here uh, two weeks ago on week one, you heard me say that we were going to let Andy teach a couple of the messages and have live teaching the other weekends. Well, this morning, we're going to let Andy lead us in week three of this series. Now, the best way to, uh, to approach any kind of video teaching is to just kind of pretend that Andy Andy is here and that he's teaching, meaning it. if he asks you to raise your hand, raise your hand. If he says something funny, feel free to laugh, but interact and, uh, and pay close attention because I think this message is going to be really important for us as a church today. Let's check it out. Well, we're in part three of staying in love, and today I want to uh, help resolve a little mystery for those of you who have been in love, want to be in love, are in love, have ever thought about it being in love, and that's this mystery. How is it that two people can stand at an altar and swear on their lives that they're going to love each other forever and ever and ever, and that they're going to be the only one and only of the only one and onlys that the one and only ever has. I mean, this is like the deal. This is forever do us, you know, till death do us part. And then five years, 10 years later, they hate each other. In fact, they hate each other more than they hate any other individual on the planet. Now, that's just weird, isn't it? That the person that they gave their deepest you know, vow to is the person that they despise the most. Every time that person comes to mind, they just cringe. They can't say a nice thing about them. I mean, that, you gotta, I mean, you know, we see it all the time, but if you think about it, that's just kind of weird, isn't it? I mean, why not hate some serial killer or some dictator in some other country? I mean, you know, there are people who do horrible things that, that we, don't have, we don't have any energy around. It's like, oh, that's too bad. You know, we hear about these tragedies and mass murder. Oh, that's too bad. Then you think about your ex-husband or your ex-wife or your ex-boyfriend or ex-fiance, and it's like, oh, just all this anger. That's just kind of weird. I'm going to try to explain that. Here, here's another thing we'll try to explain today. Why is there such a thing as domestic violence? Now, just think about that phrase. Those are two words that shouldn't even be together. Domestic, like I love you, we live in the same home, we live together, we laugh together, we've had children together. Domestic, touchy-feely, you know, I've got your picture, you've got mine. You know, domestic violence, I wanna hurt you. Now, why would there be such a thing as, I mean, again, I mean, if you're gonna be violent, you know, go hurt somebody that needs to be hurt. Why would there be, you know, I didn't say that, but you know. (laughs) Why would there be, I mean, isn't that weird, domestic violence? Here's another thing I'm gonna try to explain today. Why is it when you meet two people, and maybe you are one of those two people, and they're getting divorced or they're splitting up, and they say, well, we just don't love each other anymore, and, and, and you press a little bit and you say, now I'm betting in a year from now or a few years from now, you'll be in love with somebody else. I mean, don't you think you'll fall in love again and maybe even get married again? And they're like, well, maybe, yeah, okay, yeah, I'm open to that. And then you say to their partner, well, and isn't it true that maybe one day you'll fall in love with somebody else and maybe get married again? And they'd be like, well, yeah, eventually after a little time, you know, so both, let me get this straight. So both of you can't stand each other, but both of you are open to the possibility of falling in love with somebody else and starting a new relationship, Yeah. Well, I got an idea because I'm a pretty smart person. Why don't you just fall in love with each other again since you already have like, you already got a whole, it's gonna be complicated and expensive to split this thing up. If you're gonna fall in love with somebody else anyway, why not just fall in love with each other again? Because it's just easier and cheaper, right? <laughs> and they look at you or look at me like, you know, you're, you don't understand. And they have a point, I, even though I don't, I don't understand, I know it's not that simple. Today, I wanna explain to the best of my ability why it's not that simple. Now. Here's the premise of the whole series. 
The question we've asked is, is it possible for two people to fall in love and stay in love forever, forever together? And even if I told you, no, it's not possible for two people to fall in love and stay together forever, even if I said it's not possible, you would try it anyway. Even if I could prove to you it's not possible, in your heart and in my heart, we think it is possible and we think we are all candidates. We think somewhere out there somewhere is one special person and if I can find that person and we fall in love there, surely it's possible regardless of my past, my baggage, what I've seen around me and what culture tells me, surely there is a way for me to fall in love and stay in love together forever. It is in you to want that. It is in me to want that. It is not enough to have some bowling buddies and some fishing buddies. It's not enough to have some girlfriends and we can go out on the weekends. I mean, that's fun. It's not enough to have a couple of roommates. It's not enough to have a couple of close friends. There's something in me and there's something in you that wants that one somebody special that I can do life with, stay in love with, enjoy life with, become soulmates and have a level of intimacy that you know goes beyond anything else. There's something in me that wants that and, and you want that. That as well, and we think we can find it, and we think it could possibly last forever. And we've said that we really think that's the thumbprint of God on our heart and our soul to want that kind of companionship and intimacy. And we've said that you know part of making that a reality is learning to make love a verb. We talked about that the first week, and then the second week we talked more about learning to love like Christ loved us, and all these wonderful ideas. And, and perhaps you sat here and thought, yeah, 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 heard that, yeah, 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 think I'll try that. Or maybe you sat here and thought, yeah, but it's not that simple. It's not that simple, it's not that simple. And you're right, it's not that simple. And that's what I wanna talk about today. Now, it would be that simple. It would simply be as simple as I'm gonna put you first and you're gonna put me first and we'll put each other first. And as long as we're putting each other first, we'll just be in love and passionate and hold hands and giggle and be like, you know, 16 year olds our whole, whole life. You know, that, that would be possible if we came into the relationship with a heart that was very, very full and a heart that was very, very healthy. If we both came into, and if you and your partner, or you and your spouse or fiance came into the relationship and there had been nothing but awesome, amazing, wonderful relationships in your past, your dad was at every game, your mom was at every recital, they held hands and giggled and they just poured into you and there were a few bumps along the way, but at the end you love mom and dad and you know, and your best friends always poured into you and all your past relationships, nobody ever abused you or took advantage of you or mistreated you. Life was just, you were just full of joy and acceptance and affirmation. And you know, if you came into the relationship and your heart was just so full of good things and your spouse's heart was just so full of good things, then all you'd have to do is just put each other first and you know, you could stay in love. But couples don't normally come to romantic relationships with that kind of past. In fact, we, we call it baggage, don't we? That we've all been dinged up a bit that your dad didn't come to all your games. In fact, he didn't even come home sometimes, right? And your mom, you know, she had her issues and she was kind of trying to overcome something from her past. You never put all that together. And there was some drugs and there was alcohol in some cases and there was abuse in some cases and there were money issues in some cases. And there, were just, there was just stuff and you had that younger brother and he got all the attention because he had so many problems and you were like the golden child, but they ignored you because they had to take care of brother and, and you kind of left with some rejection. And you know, we could just sit here and all get a big pity party. But the point is we come into romantic relationships and our heart isn't always in great shape. In fact, there is stuff in us as a result of previous relationships, just as a result of life and culture, and we bring that stuff into the relationship. Now, I want to try to illustrate 
for you exactly what that looks like. And to do that, I have a couple of friends here. This is Mr. and Mrs. Mug, okay? So say, hey, this is Mr. Mug, and hey, this is Mrs. Mug, okay, Mr. and Mrs. Mug. Now, Mr. and Mrs. Mug met right after college, and like many people, and they, you know, he saw her and said, I, ooh, I got, you know, and she's like, woo, you know, and he had a degree and a future, and she was, you know, look at her, I mean, she's a knockout, so she's, all oh, that's working for her. And so they started dating, and you know, when they first started dating and hanging out, they were so careful because he's trying to win her heart and she's trying to win his affection. And, you know, it's just, they were just so careful. And they had a few little, little problems along the way. And there were a couple of bumps in the relationship, but they were just so careful and everything was going to be great. And then they got married. And then about a month into their marriage, they had a, a, a problem, they had a bump. And stuff came out. And, <laughs> and, he, and he looked at her and said, whoa, where did all that come from? <laughs> and she looked at him and said, well, I didn't know you had anger issues. And he said, well, I didn't have anger issues till you bumped me. Oh, there it is again. And then they had another problem and they, they just were so, and she went to see her sister and she said, I didn't know he was like that. And he went to see, he went to see, you know, he went, I don't know, we don't know where guys go. They don't go anywhere, you know. <laughs> He looked in the mirror, perhaps. I don't know. <laughs> and he sat around thinking, wow, she makes me so mad. She makes me so mad. Whenever she brings that up, I just get mad. And if she would quit bumping me like that, then I wouldn't be so mad. My, my wife, you know, she has issues. And so he says to her, he says, you know, when we, when we were dating, I didn't see all this. I didn't, where, where's all that coming from? She says, well, every time we get in an argument, you make me act that way. Now, it's been entertaining so far, even if you haven't learned anything, right? <laughs> now, here's what I want you to see. Mr. Mug thinks the reason the blue beads come out of him is because they keep having conflicts and she keeps bumping him. And Mrs. Mug thinks the pink beads keep coming out of her because he keeps, you know, they keep having problems and he keeps bumping her. But here's the, here's the truth. The reason blue beads come out of Mr. Mug is because that's what's in there. And the reason the pink beads come out of, you writing this down? The reason the pink beads <laughs> come out of Mrs. Mug is because that's what's in there. And this is important. All of us have stuff in us. And you don't know what's in you until you get bumped. And most of us don't get our first real big, hard, you know, gut-wrenching bump until we get into a romantic relationship that we're committed to. And there's something about romance and there's something about the permanence of I'm committed to you and you're committed to me and we're living together, moving in together or married together. There's something about that that brings out the best and it brings out the worst. And most people don't know really what's going on in there until they get into a relationship they're committed to and they say, you're the one for me and I'm the one for you. Oh my goodness, what in the world was all of that? And this is why people who make the ultimate commitment to each other end up madder at each other than anyone else on the planet. And he is absolutely sure that the reason the blue beads come out is because she gets on his nerves and she keeps saying that thing and she keeps doing that thing. But the truth is the blue beads come out because they're in there. 
And she's absolutely sure if he would stop and if he would start and if he would quit and if he would more of and if he would less of and if he would be careful, the pink beads would quit coming out. But the reason they come out is because that's what's in there. And all of us have stuff that's in there. And all of us blame the person we're most in love with for what comes out of us. But the reason it comes out of us is because it's in us, but it's romantic relationships that bring it out like nothing else. I won't ask you to raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about. Now, so here's the question, what do we do? And the answer is pretty simple, but it's something that most of us don't do. We have to learn to pay attention to what's going on inside of us. We have to learn to pay attention to what's going on inside of us. Here's how the writer of Proverbs said, if you wanna look at this, we're gonna just look at one verse. Um, Jesus reiterates the same thing in Matthew 15. In fact, Jesus says the exact same thing. He just gives some more illustrations, but we're gonna look from just this one verse in Proverbs, Proverbs 4, 23. Here's what he says, Proverbs 4, 23. The writer of Proverbs, the wisest guy in the world, right? Knows everything said a lot of stuff, wrote Proverbs, wrote Ecclesiastes, wrote Song of Solomon, had a lot to say. Here's what he says. He says, above all else, above all else, which means what I'm about to tell you is as important or more important than anything I've ever said before. And that's a mouthful coming from Solomon. What I'm about to say is as important or maybe more important than anything else I'm gonna tell you. And if you've read the book of Proverbs, he talks about money and relationships and kings and working and work ethic and all kinds of stuff. And Song of Solomon's all about sex. And you know, Ecclesiastes is all about when you get old, how life seems kind of futile and what's the point. I mean, he's kind of covered the gamut and he says, Above all else, the one thing I would say, if you're just gonna get one thing is this, above all else, guard your heart. Guard your heart, which means pay attention to what's going on on the inside. The heart in that culture represented the seat of emotion. This is where the emotions come from. And the writer of Proverbs, Solomon says, I want you to guard, which means pay attention, guard, which means keeps the, keep the bad guys out, guard, which means protect what's valuable. I want you to guard your heart. I want you to pay attention to your heart. I want you to protect and defend your heart. Now, when I say that, and if I were to say, so well, let's go down the row and let's all kind of share with each other, turn to the person next to you and share your strategy for guarding your heart. Most of us would say, what? It's like, I've never even thought of that before. I mean, that sounds like some kind of psycho babble thing. I didn't even know stuff like that was in the Bible. I mean, what does that mean? In fact, if you were to say, Andy, what does it mean to guard your heart? Then chances are you're not doing it. And Solomon says, it's the most important thing you can do from an Old Testament perspective is to guard your heart. And what you have already discovered, if you've, you know, if you've been in love before, is that what's inside of you comes out in the relationships that are most important to you. And you may have blamed it on the other person, but then you discovered when you got into another relationship, strangely enough, blue beads kept coming out. Four relationships later, blue beads kept coming out of you. And you thought, I have dated or I've been in love or married to four women who have the same issue over and over and over. And every time we have a problem, they bring these blue beads out of me. I need to find somebody that brings out something else, brings something else out of me. And lo and behold, it's just what is in you. And Solomon says, this is why you need to develop a plan or a strategy for guarding your heart. Now, let me tell you what we're real good at. We're not very good at guarding our heart, 
but we're really good at monitoring our partner's behavior, right? We're not very good at monitoring our heart. If you ask me, Andy, what does it look like to monitor? You know, if I were to say, what does it look like to monitor your heart? You know, I'd probably get as many different answers as there are people listening. But if I were to say, what does it look like to monitor your partner or your spouse's or your fiance's behavior? You'd say, now I know how to monitor behavior and that's what we do. We're really good at looking at what they do, don't do, say, and don't say, and pointing out the things they should do, shouldn't do, should say, and shouldn't say. We're great at monitoring behavior. We're horrible at monitoring our heart. Now, both are really, really important. But let me tell you how they're connected. Let me see if I can explain this. You see, in your relationship with the person you love the most, you want to feel a certain way. All of us do. You wanna feel loved, you wanna feel pretty, you wanna feel competent, you wanna feel respected, you wanna feel cherished, you wanna feel valued, you wanna feel taken care of. You've never made a list and that's okay, but you want to feel certain things. And your husband or wife or partner or fiance, whatever the relationship is, their words and their actions elicit certain feelings in you. And when you try to get them to stop doing something or start doing something, oftentimes, even though we don't make the connection, it's because we don't like the way those words or actions make us feel. We want them to do and say things that make us feel a certain way because after all, we were drawn into this relationship primarily because of emotion. We fell in love. We love the way they made us feel. We love the security they offered. We love the sense of, hey, you know, who's that you're with? And, you know, whatever all that stuff was, we loved all that. We were drawn in a lot because of the emotion that this person created for us. And it is normal for us to want to keep that emotion alive. And so we monitor their behavior, trying to get them to do and stop doing certain things, say things, stop saying things, because we don't like the way those things make us feel or we like the way certain things make us feel. We want that emotion, that adrenaline, that passion, and that sense of I'm who I think I am. And we, we love all that. And that's absolutely normal. The problem is we depend, this is why these relationships are so difficult. We come to depend in a huge, huge, huge way on our spouse or on our partner to create those feelings for us. I'm dependent on you to make me feel confident. I'm competent. I'm dependent on you to make me feel valued and cherished and lovable. I'm depending on you to make me feel these things. All of that goes on behind the scenes in any love relationship. And that's absolutely normal. And if we all came in with only good stuff on the inside of us, that would probably work out kind of by itself. But it doesn't because we come into the relationships with all kinds of stuff on the inside of us. And what's on the inside eventually makes its way to the outside. And when stuff comes out of us that we don't like, our tendency is to blame the person that brought it out of us, but it was in us to begin with. Now, here's the part that I think your experience will, will bear witness to, but um, it, it, it's nothing I can prove to you in the time we have today. And, and the point is simply this, that your ability, your ability to feel certain things, your ability to feel certain things is determined by the condition of your heart. Your ability to even feel on an ongoing basis the things you want to feel are in some ways impacted by the condition of your heart. 
That if you've come out of a home where you just never, ever felt appreciated, never, ever felt appreciated, never, ever felt appreciated, it's going to be harder for you to feel and sustain a level of appreciation with your husband or your wife. And no matter what he or she does, there may always be a sense of, it's just never enough, it's never enough, it's never enough. Your ability to feel certain things is a reflection, not only of your spouse's behavior, but the condition of your heart, which means, which means... Your ability, follow me, your ability to stay in love, your ability to stay in love has as much to do with the condition of your heart as it does the behavior of your partner or your spouse. That even your ability, no matter who you were with, your ability to maintain that sense of, wow, you fill me up and wow, you make me feel, your ability to stay in love has as much to do with the condition of your heart as it does the behavior of your partner. And both are vitally important to the relationship, but we naturally monitor their behavior. We do not naturally monitor our heart. And when the blue beads come out and we don't like what comes out of us, we'd say, well, if you would quit saying and doing that, these beads wouldn't come out. But the truth is you brought some of that with you into the relationship. And without understanding what we're talking about today, no amount of commitment can compensate for this dynamic. You may stay together. You may decide we're against divorce and we're never, ever getting divorced. And we just put, you know, as we said last week, duct tape down the middle of the room and the room and the bedroom and the bed and the upstairs. And, you know, we're just, we're going to cohabitate, but by golly, you know, or you may say, this is just isn't worth it. I, you know, we, I just, I just hate the way he makes me feel. I hate the way she makes me feel. And their behavior is part of it, but the condition of your heart is part of it as well. Listen to how Solomon ends this verse. He says, again, above all else, guard your heart. And listen to the last part. For everything you do, everything you do, everything you do in your relationship, everything you do romantically, everything you do during your, the course of your day, everything you do flows from it. That is, when you're in a relationship with another person, your relationship is the overflow of your heart. Jesus, again, he says the very same thing. He says all kinds of things come out into our actions, and they all come from our heart. That we are defiled by what's in our heart, not simply by what we do. That everything you do is the overflow of your heart. So if your heart isn't in good shape, it's going to be almost impossible to maintain healthy relationships. Now, You've seen this in other people. I mean, this is so easy to see in other people. And you've seen your friends argue, or you've seen, you know, friends of yours who are married, you know, talk about, they come to you and confide in you about their spouse, do this and that. And you listen to them and you think, okay, yeah, he may have done that, but ooh, you know, he, he did a four, but your reaction is like a 10. I'm not sure where those other six are coming from, but I don't think your husband really, I mean, I, I ooh, but you're careful because you just go, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, you just agree. But then when you get with your boyfriend, girlfriend, or spouse, you're like, I talked to Martha and oh my gosh, I think she has issues and she's blaming. I mean, we can see this in other people so easily. It's almost impossible for us to see it in the mirror. But here's the bottom line. What's in you is gonna come out of you regardless of who's with you. What's in you is eventually gonna come out of you regardless of who's with you. You can, you can interchange the pieces and interface the, interchange the names and faces, and, and, but eventually what's in you is gonna come out. So it's so important for us, those of us who wanna stay in love, to learn to pay attention to or to monitor our hearts. Now, 
But a year and a half ago or two and a half years ago, I think more like it, we did a series called It Came From Within. Some of you were here for that. It came from within. We had the big monster. You remember that? The whole series was about guarding or monitoring our hearts. The whole series was about that. And we spent five or six weeks talking about this very principle. And obviously in the course of one message, I can't cover all that material, but if you weren't here, you, need, you should watch that. Or there's a book, the book's better because I go into a lot more detail, but we've created a resource for those of you who say, guard my heart, huh? You know, monitor my heart because here's what happens. There's a bump in the relationship. We feel emotion and then we start talking, right? There's a bump in the relationship. We feel some emotion, we just clam up. And we never really get past oftentimes that initial emotional shock. The beads are flying everywhere and we're just mad. So in the book and in that resource, we talk about how to begin to monitor your heart. Now, but what I wanna do today is I wanna introduce you to an exercise that if you'll begin to do this, this will help you learn how to or begin to pay attention to what's going on on the inside. Again, we are all experts at monitoring our partner's behavior. I don't think we need to do a sermon on that, do you? We got that one, that just comes natural. But the whole idea of paying attention to what's on the inside is new to some of us. In fact, maybe it doesn't even seem spiritual to you. Maybe it seems like a waste of time to you. But in essence, this is part of maturing as a believer. And this is one of the keys to staying in love. So here's, let me tell you how this goes. There's kind of two parts to this. You've heard it said before, you know, think before you speak, right? Think before you speak, think before you speak. Here's what I want you to begin doing. There's two parts to this exercise. The first part is to stop and think about what you're feeling before you speak. To stop and think about what you're feeling before you speak. Now guys, let me just say something to you. I, I know how this works for us. We say, well, I'm just frustrated. What are you feeling, frustrated? What else? That's just it, frustrated. Then we say, well, I'm not angry. Well, and then sometimes we say, okay, I'm angry, but I kind of got mostly frustrated and sometimes I'm angry. And it's like, guys, is that your only two emotions? Pretty much, you know, that's sort of where I live. I'm, you know, and I'm, I'm happy, I got all the happy, happy ones, but in terms of negative emotions, what are your negative emotions? Frustrated and sometimes angry. And that's it, that's as deep as we go. So guys, I wanna work with you a little bit today, okay? This is a little bit easier for ladies. And we, we say it's because they're more emotionally intuitive. It's not because they're more emotional. In fact, guys, I would argue we're so emotional and we're so scared of our emotions that we just, I'm just sort of frustrated. You know, I'm gonna go see my friends and kind of get, you know, work through it. You know, I just need a moment. Okay, so what I wanna do is I wanna, I wanna increase your vocabulary. Here are some other emotions that you may have, okay? Here are some other emotions. And here's my point in this exercise. Listen carefully. This, and this is so important. The goal is to identify exactly what we're feeling. And this is sort of a journey into our heart. And you say, well, Andy, is that healthy? Yeah, Solomon says you need to guard or pay attention to your heart. Here's here just a, a few things that you have felt before. And I'm telling you, there's extraordinary power in what I'm about to share with you, okay? And this exercise. But the first thing is to name, to name, to name your emotion and name exactly what you're feeling. You and your spouse, you and your partner have a bump. There's some conflict. And all of a sudden here comes the volcano and it's a pause. And it's a, you know what, what? exactly did she make me feel? What emotion, what specific emotion did that surface in me? Here's a bunch of them. Anger, because we all know that one. Left out, I think I just feel left out. Embarrassed, I'm mad as she, okay, but I know you're mad, but why? I think I'm, I think I'm just embarrassed. That's a good one. Unappreciated, 
unappreciated ladies, you get so mad at him, you know, sometimes, and you just say, I'm just mad. He just frustrates me to death. But what's behind that? I think I just don't feel appreciated. Ugly, you feel ugly, unlovable. When you say that, it just makes me feel like I'm unlovable. I feel like a failure. Every time you start talking about my brother-in-law and all the trips they were able to take and all the things they were able to do, and I know you're just proud of my brother-in-law or your brother-in-law, but every time you start talking about his accomplishments, I just find myself getting angry. I find myself getting, and you don't think I like him, and it's not that I don't like him. It's just that when we talk about him, when he shows up, there's something that comes up on the inside of me. What is that? I think you feel like a failure. I think you feel like you haven't accomplished much. You need to surface that and hang on to it. And I'll tell you what to do with it in just a second. I'm old, I feel stupid, I feel lonely, I feel abandoned, I feel, I just feel like you've abandoned me. I'm scared. I mean, I hate to admit it, I thought I was just frustrated, but the truth is, I think I'm scared. I feel out of control. I feel betrayed. I feel like you've betrayed me. I feel picked on. I think, I think what it is, is whenever we get into these arguments, I just, I just feel picked on. Well, to be honest, I... I think I'm jealous. Now, jealousy is really hard to see in the mirror, really hard for us to admit. I think I'm jealous. I think when your sister comes around and she wears those clothes and I can't wear those clothes, and it's not that I don't like your sister, I know you don't think I like your sister, but I think as, as I've come to realize it, I think, I know I make, you know, I'm critical of all these different things about your sister, but I just, I think, I think I'm just jealous. Disrespected. What is it? What is I mean, I know there's, you know, things are flying all over the place, but to, but to surface it and say, I know this is kind of weird and different for me. Okay, what exactly, this is guarding your heart. This is paying attention to the, your, your internal life. What exactly am I feeling? I'm not just going to say I'm mad. I'm not going to start talking. I don't want to have another argument. This has come up and while it's up, I want to identify it and I'm going to name it. I finally figured it out. I feel insecure. Whew, I finally figured this out. I finally named it. And here's what I want you to do when you identify it. I want you to say it out loud. I want you to say it out loud. I want you to say, just to yourself at first, I'm, I feel jealous. That's what I feel. I feel like a failure. That's what it is. When he comes around or when I hear them talking and telling those stories, I feel like a failure. See, now you're getting somewhere. Now you are beginning to discover and pinpoint what is already in you. Let me tell you what, emotions like this that stay buried and the only thing you can say is I'm frustrated and I'm mad. I don't like it when you do that. As long as they're a secret, listen to me, they are powerful. They are powerful, 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 powerful. They drive you. They drive what you say. They drive what you don't say. They send you into a funk and you can't talk to anybody and you clam up and you kind of go into your cave or they drive you to say things you wish you'd never said. They're powerful. But you start unearthing them and you start out loud naming them and saying what it is. I'm telling you, they begin, this isn't the end, they begin to lose their power. And I'll tell you what else happens. When you begin naming them and then you begin looking, and you realize, you know what? The reason my wife talks about her brother, it's, it's not that she's trying to make me feel something bad. It's just she just loves her brother. I think this is a me issue. This is a Andy bead. This is a Billy bead. This is a you bead. This has nothing to do with her. And I've just felt, you know, this anger, frustration every time this comes up. And I've just put, you know what? 
I think I got to own this one. I think I might even owe her an apology. Now, why is it that his success makes me feel like such a failure? I need to figure that out. And here's what you'll discover. Oftentimes, much of, not all of, much of what you feel is stuff you brought into the relationship. It has nothing to do with your husband or your wife or your boyfriend or girlfriend or your fiance. Their words and actions just surface something that was already there. And I'm telling you, there's huge freedom when you begin to discern between what they said and what you feel. It's powerful, but as long as it is a secret, it will run your life and potentially drive a deeper and deeper wedge between the person that you committed to love for the rest of your life. So you gotta name it, it's jealousy. You gotta say it out loud. I feel jealous. I feel lonely. I feel left out. I feel... And see, here's the thing. There's part of you, and guys, I'm speaking as a guy because it's, you know, that's all I know. Guys, it's hard for us to say it out loud. And part of it is, you know, it's gonna lose its power. Guys, one of the re- ladies as well, the reason we don't wanna say it out loud, listen, is because we also lose our excuse. Because I kind of wanna stay mad. I wanna kind of stay upset. I wanna use my anger or my pouting to control your behavior. But now that I realize what I'm dealing with, I kind of lose my excuse. And then the next thing you do with this, you name it, you say it out loud. And sometimes, sometimes when it's appropriate, you tell your partner. And here's how that conversation goes. Mr. Mug says to Mrs. Mug, Mrs. Mug, I've discovered that whenever you say those things you say to me when I, you find out I'm gonna come home late from work, I just gotta tell you, I just feel so unappreciated. I, I, I just, I'm just telling you that when you say what you say, you know, I just, I feel, I'm just telling you what I feel, I feel unappreciated. Now, now listen, listen, listen. There are no bad feelings, okay? There are no bad feelings, they're just feelings. So when someone you love says to you, when you do this or when you say this, it makes me feel a certain way, that's not a criticism of you. That's just an observation. And if that makes you get all defensive and all insecure, well, you shouldn't, that's a pink bead problem. When Mr. Bluebead, when Mr. Bluebead says, when you do certain things, it makes me feel a certain way, that's just information. And when somebody opens up to you in that way, do you know what the proper response is? The proper response is, I'm so glad you told me. And then here's the most important part. Let's just all practice that. That's the hardest part for us, isn't it? Do you know, say anything else. I'm so glad you told me. I'm so glad you've been willing to figure it out. And I'm so glad you've been willing to share it with me. I'm so glad you told me. Not, well, you shouldn't feel that way. (laughs) Or here's another one. I'm sorry you feel that way. It's thanks for telling, I'm so glad you told me. Because listen, listen to me, listen. Healthy people, this this is a mirror for you. Mirror for you, 
healthy people, when they discover that something they do or say elicits negative emotion in their partner, elicits hurt in their causes hurt or surfaces hurt, when they discover that healthy people quit doing it. They don't say, well, you'll just have to deal with it. They don't say, well, you should grow up. You should be more mature. They quit doing it. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to start paying attention to your heart. That's how you stay in love. I know you're gonna pay attention to his or her behavior. You got that down. I need you, I want you, I wanna challenge you this week to start paying attention to your heart and asking this question. What exactly, what exactly am I feeling? And then I want you to say it out loud. And then I want you to look at what you've said out loud and then I want you to look at what they did to elicit that. And then you're gonna say, you know what? I think maybe this isn't a marriage problem. I think maybe this isn't a relationship problem. I think this is a heart problem. God, help me overcome what's inside of me. Because listen, your ability to stay in love has as much to do with the condition of your heart as it does the behavior of your partner. Your ability to stay in love with anyone has as much to do with the condition of your heart as the behavior of your person, uh, of your partner. So what Solomon says is exactly right. Above all else, guard your heart. Everything you do, everything you do flows from it. What's in you is gonna come out of you. So to stay in love, we need to learn to pay attention to what's in us. So here's the challenge. Would you start paying attention to the stuff inside of you that gets stirred up when she says, when he says, when she does, when he does, when she doesn't say, when he doesn't say, would you pay attention? And would you feel and think before you act, before you act or say something? And by God's grace, would you say, God, I wanna know exactly what it is and I'm gonna name it and I'm gonna speak it out loud. And then when it's appropriate, I'm gonna share with the person I love the most, how that made me feel. And because they love you, perhaps they'll say, I'm so glad you told me because I never, ever, ever wanna make you feel that way again. Guard your hearts. That's one of the keys to staying in love. Father, I thank you so much uh, for your word, uh, for Andy's teaching of your word this morning, Lord. And uh, just so reminded of the words of David from the Psalms where, where he prayed, search me, God, know my heart. Test me, know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me. Because so often our default is to see the offensive way in everybody else and we miss it in ourselves. And so, Father, there may be some of these things that we don't even see in ourselves. It's, it's not that we're lying about them. We just haven't even noticed them in ourselves. And so I, I pray that, uh, that you would find us faithful to slowing down, praying that prayer, to searching our hearts, asking you to search our hearts, point out those things, Father, that would be offensive to you, offensive to those around us. Lord, I pray for the marriages at Genesis Church, that you would be glorified in them. Father, that you would find us faithful to these things. We love you, Lord. We thank you for Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.